Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. It's so important to have a right attitude toward the Word of God. You know, we don't believe in religion. We believe in relationship. I had religion for 24 years in my life, but I didn't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But once I gave my heart to Jesus, that all changed. I became a child of God. And I recall in my early days of salvation when working in the mill uh, at Youngstown Sheet and Tube Company, I ran an overhead traveling crane that a brother in the Lord quoted a Bible verse to me that basically put within me a desire to know the Word of God. I mean a hunger and a thirst for the Word of God. He quoted 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9 that says, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered to the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. And I'll tell you what, it absolutely sparked within me a strong desire to know the Bible like he just quoted it to me. It changed my whole life forever. And I got into the Bible. I got into God's Word. I began to study God's Word. And God just dropped something in me that changed me, like I said. And that hunger and that thirst drove me to know all the things that God said. Now remember, the Bible is a letter written to us from God. God's primary way of speaking to us is through His Word. That's the primary way he speaks to us. He, yeah, he gives us a witness of our spirit. He can speak other ways, but the primary, number one way is through the word of God. So in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, this is something that Jesus said before he departed and went back to glory. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me, notice, in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, this is the power of attorney that he gives us, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Notice, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Notice it's a command. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world or the age. Amen. Water baptism is one of the two ordinances that Jesus basically said we should obey. Number one is the Lord's Supper, and number two is water baptism. And regularly, you know, we do celebrate the Lord's Supper, which shows his death till he comes. But it's also true that water baptism is another ordinance. An ordinance is an authoritative decree or a command that he gives to us. Well, ask yourself the question, if this is true that it's an authoritative decree that was commanded to us of the Lord, why is it that so few have really been baptized in water since becoming a born-again Christian? See, I was saved at 24, but I was baptized in water as an infant, and I'll get to that in just a moment. Many people are not 
baptized in water since being saved for specific reasons. And the number one reason I'm going to give is because of exalting church doctrine or tradition above the Word of God. God's Word should be the final authority in our lives. It should never be our church doctrine or tradition. And sometimes we grow up with this tradition and we think that it's biblical. But that's not always the case. So when it comes to water baptism, one thing that I can point out is this. I came from a background where babies were baptized by sprinkling. And if a child is baptized by sprinkling, then what it's stating is this. That that child was born with original sin. And the only way that that sin can be removed or remitted from that child's life is to sprinkle them in the waters of baptism. Matter of fact, I was told that in the waters of baptism, someone put on Christ. But let me explain something to you. Can you eat for a baby? Can you drink for a baby? Can you exercise for a baby? I don't think so. You see, there are certain things we can do and there are certain things we can't do. And when it comes to water baptism, you can't make a decision for someone else. Matter of fact, here's what the theology was. We need to get them baptized or sprinkled when they're babies, infants, because if they're not, they're going to enter into a place of limbo if they die. This is what I was taught. Well, since becoming a born-again, spirit-filled Christian and studying my word, the Bible, the word of God, I found out no place like limbo exists. It's non-existence. Just like purgatory is non-existent. It doesn't exist. It's not in the Bible. So, to think that being in limbo, which is an intermediate state in between heaven and hell, where this being is just going to be in a state of uncertainty with no hope of ever making heaven. Of course, they're never going to be in hell, but they're in that place of what? It's like you're in no man's land. That's why it's called limbo. It's uncertainty. You have no idea of what this existence is all about. And what I've discovered, the motivation behind such a doctrine is, anybody know one word that would identify that or define that? I heard someone say it. Money. And that's a sad scenario. See, a child, an infant, if that infant dies, that child is directly escorted to heaven, is the truth. And that's biblical, because David, when his infant son died... You know what he said? I got to prepare myself to go and be with him in glory. And so, even though the Bible doesn't teach this doctrine, many believe that doctrine because they've been fed that doctrine ever since they were growing up based on the church that they came out of. That's why it's important that we go to the Word of God, discover what it says. Because when I first got saved, I was like many other people. And maybe you're out here today, maybe you're in the same boat that I was in. I just got saved. I grew up in church for 24 years. I just got saved, gave my heart to Jesus. I'm on fire for God, and I'm going to serve him with my life. I want to get baptized in water, but I don't know if I should or not, because I was baptized as an infant in water. So I did what every person probably was doing way back in 1976 when I got saved. I called the 700 Club, because they have all the answers, right? 
So I called the 700 Club and got a counselor, a prayer counselor, and they said, how can we help you? I said, well, here's my dilemma. I was saved. I'm saved. I'm born again now. I'm a child of God. But I was baptized as an infant. Does that count? Or should I be baptized again? That's my question to you. And her answer to me was, what do you think? I said, that's why I'm calling you. I don't know what to think. I don't know the Bible well enough. I just got saved. I'm calling to find out what is the right thing to do. And thank God I found out the right thing to do. And really, this should have been the answer. The Bible teaches that water baptism is an outward sign of an inward reality, work of grace. It's outwardly expressing or confessing to people like here today that on the inside, I've been born again, washed in the blood. I've given my heart to Jesus. And now in obedience to fulfill what he said to do, which is be baptized, I've come to be baptized and I should be baptized. And so if we've been baptized, if we've been saved, then we should be baptized after salvation Anything that took place before salvation doesn't count. You could have been baptized as an infant. You could have been baptized a thousand times in water. Or you could have been born in an ocean. It doesn't matter. It's an outward sign of an inward work of grace. And so until the inward work of grace happens, it's all meaningless beforehand. Why? Because you can't eat for a baby. You can't drink for a baby. You can't do anything like exercise for a baby. You can't do that. You can't accept Christ for a baby either. If they die, they go to heaven. In the day in which we live, hallelujah. (laughs) Who wouldn't want to be in heaven? But there's no concern about that child being in a state of limbo because it doesn't exist. Another reason why many are not getting baptized after they accept Christ, that was one reason because they've been taught wrong. And so they think that it's okay. And another reason would be because they don't really know what the scriptures teach. And they've been uninformed as far as what water baptism is truly all about. Water baptism, once again, is an ordinance of the Lord. It is an authoritative decree of the Lord. And so if one doesn't know the significance of water baptism, then we'll take it nonchalantly. We'll take it lightly. Well, it doesn't matter when I get baptized, if I get baptized and and all that, you know, if it it happens. Besides, I was as an infant, that's okay. So what's what's the big deal? What's the difference here? To have that kind of an attitude is almost like an insult to God. And let me tell you why. You know why? Because that water baptism signifies everything that Christ did for you and for me. And for me to take that lightly is to almost say that it really doesn't matter all that he did for me. See, when I tell you I was gung-ho about getting baptized, I have to back it up and just let you know that when I was under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, realizing that I was probably lost and going to be eternally separated from God, I cried out to God and said, I want to know I can make heaven. I want to know how I can make heaven. And so in answer to my prayer and my plea, God sent labors to my life to start talking to me about being born again. I thought they were lunatics. 
I never heard such a term. I thought they were crazy. Actually, I thought they were Jesus freaks. Isn't that something? I call myself a Christian, but people that talk about Jesus are Jesus freaks. Goes to show you how blind a person can be, right? Well, guess what? Finally, it got to my heart. And finally, I was born again. And when I got born again, I had, a, we sang that song, a joy unspeakable and full of glory rose up within my being. I was so on fire for God. I had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. I told close family members, you're going to hell. Not the way to witness. Not the right way to witness. I wanted to make a point, but I had zeal, but no knowledge. See, well, God taught me since then. And I began to the same people that I said that to. I witnessed to them in a more loving way. And they realized their need to be born again. And I led them to Christ. And what a difference it made. But during that time, I was under conviction. I didn't know what conviction even was. I was crying out to God for help. I want to make heaven. If you're here today and you want to make heaven, you've got to be born again. Not go to church. It doesn't say about Jesus. didn't say, except a man go to church at such and such a place. He can't see the kingdom of God. But he did say, except a man be born again, he cannot enter my kingdom. Marvel not, I said to you, a Jewish leader in Judaism. Marvel not, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, how can I go back into my mother's womb and be reborn? And Jesus said, Nicodemus, you're a ruler of Israel. Don't you know that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit? Marvel not, I said to you, you must be born again. It's a spiritual birth of your heart. And it doesn't come by infant baptism. It doesn't come by confirmation. It doesn't come by any of that. It doesn't come by going to church at this church, that church, the other church, whatever church you might go to. I've said this so many times, I'm... Hearing myself repeat it over and over again. I'll never get bored with it. You can sit in church for a million years and not be a Christian. Like you could sit in, in, a, in a garage and not be a car for a million years. Or in a pigeon coop and not be a pigeon for a million years. You get the point? There are people sitting in church every day. Religion sends more people to hell than anything else. Did you know that? You know why? Because religion is basically saying that you're okay, you did this, you did that, whatever, you're okay. Matter of fact, the person that I said that, you know, you're, you're going to be lost to, patted me on my leg and said, oh, you're okay. You just do good deeds and take care of people and help out. You'll make heaven. That's not true. That's deception. That's a lie that comes straight from the pit itself. You're not good enough to make heaven. I'm not good enough to make heaven. No one's good enough to make heaven. There's only one way to make heaven. Jesus. It's what he did, not you did. It's what he's done, not what I've done. It's his performance, not my performance. What does he require of me? Oh, something small. Small. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Except the man be born again, he will not enter my kingdom. So deny yourself, he says. Of what? Living a lifestyle independent of God. Take up your cross, meaning what? Submit your will to my will for your life. And follow me, meaning what? Allow me to make you what I want you to be. See, all he wants is your life. 
Now, the Bible teaches us that if you've been born again, you're married to Christ. Did you know that? You're married to another, even Christ. He was telling it to these Jewish people that were married to the law, and they thought the law was to be exalted above everything else. And, and he said, no, 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 if you're in Christ and you're married to another, even Christ. And I said this last week, it bears repetition, I do believe, that, you know, when you get married, let's just say you're going to get married to somebody who is extremely wealthy, a billionaire, like a few of you out there. Right? Pray for me that I don't fall in that water, please. I walk a little bit. Well, and let's just say that you come from not that kind of a class, a billionaire class, okay? And they may want you to sign a prenuptial agreement because who knows if you're marrying her for her money or you're marrying him for his money. So you come up with a prenuptial agreement to say that if this doesn't work out, you get nothing in she or he or whoever gets it all or keeps it. Jesus doesn't ask you to sign a prenuptial agreement. He says, all that I have is yours and all that you have is mine. It's my father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom and the keys to the kingdom. It's all yours. Don't have to sign anything. So when you come to him, all you bring is yourself. All you bring is your life, your existence. And you say, Jesus, you died for me. You took my place. You suffered for me. You took upon yourself the wrath of God. You became the curse. You became my sin, sickness, mental anguish, and disease. I owe it all to you. And you redeemed me by your blood. So guess what? I'm laying down my life for you. That's it. I'm married to you. I belong to another, even Christ. Isn't that the truth? Look at the book of Acts chapter 19 and verses 2 through 5. Here's Paul at Ephesus passing through Corinth. He says to them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? They said, well, we've not so much as heard whether to be a Holy Ghost. He said to them, unto what then were you what? What were you what? You see how important it is? Have you received the Holy Ghost? Well, I don't know that you've been Holy Ghost. Well, how were you baptized? Unto John's baptism. Oh, well, said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that you should believe on him which should come after him that is on Christ. And when they, Christ Jesus, when they heard this, they were what? Baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. You see, your baptism identifies you, who you identify with. They were identifying with the baptism of repentance under John's ministry. But that ministry was to lead them to a place to where John said, I've got to be baptized by someone who's greater than I am. So great that I shouldn't even bow down and, and untie his shoes. And so they then were baptized in the name of Jesus. And now what that means is they detached themselves from Judaism and they joined themselves to Christianity. That's how big it is. You're denying this. Your life in the first Adam, you're no longer, let's say, connected to the first Adam. You're now connected to the second Adam, who is Christ. You're actually saying is, I'm coming out of that realm. I'm entering to this realm where Christ is the Lord of my life. I'm married to him. And that's the bottom line. Today, you know, we just hear a whole lot about being whether you're born again or whatever. And a lot of people just take for granted. Well, I just I'm a child of God for whatever reason. 
Beloved, I don't want one person at the sound of my voice be lost forever because I neglected to tell people that you have to truly be born again. Not follow somebody else's faith. You can't have faith for somebody else. You can't live for somebody else. And to be a Christian is involving your complete surrender to Jesus Christ because he paid the price for your salvation. There's going to come a day when in Revelation chapter 5, this is going to take place. In that chapter, we are told that John, who was caught up in the spirit on the Lord's day on the Patmos, who's worthy to take this book and loose the seals thereof? This will happen. Revelation chapter 5. Christians will be there. And it was declared no man in heaven, earth, or beneath the earth is found worthy to take that book and loose the seals thereof. Talking about the seals of judgment that will take place during the tribulation period in Revelation chapter 6 right on through 19 and 20. Well, John says he wept because no one was found worthy. Heaven, earth, beneath the earth, no, not one being in existence was worthy to take the book. He began to cry. The elder said, no, you don't have to cry anymore. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, yes. he's prevailed to take yes. the book and loose the yes. seals thereof because he redeemed us to God by his blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and made us a kingdom of priests before our God. I beheld, he said, and I saw in the midst of the throne a lamb has, having had, as he had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth unto all the earth. And he came and he took the book. And it goes on to say, everybody then fell down before him. Because every creature in heaven, earth, beneath the earth, and such as are in the sea, heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever. There is no one else that can save you. There's no being that can save you. There's no religious leader who can save you. No following ethnic, no cold or anything like that that can save anybody. There is only one person in all the universe. When Jesus made this declaration on earth and he told his disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you because where I'm going, you can be there also. And Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except by me. Period. Hallelujah. Praise him. He deserves it. I want to show the importance of water baptism. You people that are candidates, we're going to envy you this morning. I've had mine. I've, I've shared with you mine enough times. I might do it quickly here in a moment, but I want to show you the importance. See, if we fail to re recognize the significance and the importance of water baptism, then people will put it off and delay it and say, oh, maybe someday I'll get baptized or whatever. I've been saved for now 20 years. I haven't, have you been baptized in water since you got saved? No, but I was as an infant. It doesn't count. It doesn't count. I wish that lady would have told me it doesn't count. But I got it on my own. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Look at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3. This is from the English Standard Version of the Bible. Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. Did you hear that? This is the son of God who has no need to repent. But he said, I've come to fulfill all righteousness. And that means I will be an example to all of you 
that as the one who came from heaven to this earth, who robed myself in flesh, I will submit myself to water baptism. Why? Because it represents everything that I've come to do. Death, burial, resurrection, ascension. That's what it represents. And so he said, it's significant for me to do this. You see, water baptism encompasses everything that Jesus came to do. Look in Luke's gospel, chapter 12. This also is from the ESV. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Did you hear those words? You know what he's saying? In water baptism, it represented everything that Jesus had to go through in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension to, to, to obtain eternal redemption for us. So this one being on this planet houses the blood that saves a sin-sick soul and removes us from death to life. And it's all found in him. And it's all represented in water baptism. And that's what he was saying to them. When he goes under the water, which is why we don't sprinkle. Sprinkle doesn't count unless it's an exceptional situation. There's always an exception to the rule, okay? If someone is so sickly they can't breathe and they've got COPD, they've got some kind of situation, whatever the situation might be, that's understandable. But typically, it should be under the water because when he went under the water, it represented his death. When he came up out of the water, his resurrection. The heavens were open. The Spirit of God came on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven came saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus said, For me to fulfill all righteousness, I've got to go through all this. And that's why it says that he was basically distressed. He knew what he would have to suffer. Now, if you were like I am, I'm, I, I kind of like to think things through and just say, I got to learn some things about this. Do you ever ask yourself the question, how can a Joan of Arc be burned at a stake? How can someone like Peter be crucified upside down? Isaiah or some of these others be sawn in two and not say a word about it. You know how many were eaten by lions? burned at the stake and did so gladly. But Jesus there in the garden saying, oh, this is God, Father, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to suffer like this. You see, if that's what you think, it's so wrong. It's unbelievable. I want you to know what your Savior did for you. He was going to die a death that no human being could ever die. Physically, when he died on that cross, the Bible says the Romans Romans looked up there to see this man on this cross who who was there to to witness many crucifixions, saw him so visage, which means his outward appearance, so marred more than any man. He didn't appear to be like a human being. It wasn't from the physical beating. It was the fact that he became sin for us. He became and when he became sin for us, God poured into him. Your past, present, future sin, anything that you could do to violate the law of God was heaped upon him, and he knew it. He would then bear the wrath of God. He would descend into the bowels of the earth. He would suffer there this torment 
in the bowels of the earth for what you did and for what I did, then God on the third day would raise him up from the pangs or the pains of death. He would raise him up from that suffering of death. The Bible says that he was in the abyss, which is the slower part. God raised him up, praise God, and he, was, he brought him up and brought him out. And if you can just vision, envision this in, in the Isle of Patmos when John was there, he emerges from the grave and says, I am he that liveth and was dead, but behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I've got the keys of hell and of death. He went and he took back what the devil stole from Adam in the very beginning, and this is no minor thing. You see, I think we've candy-coated things. You know, we sugar-coated things. This is not about some, I'm a religious person because I go to church and I went to, I went to church today, went three times this month. I'm not a good Christian. No. This is that you have learned what Christ did for you. And you are so moved by what he did for you that you surrender your heart because of what he did for you. This isn't religion. This is reality. This is spiritual warfare. This is God coming down and saying, devil, you've had your day. Enough is enough. Your time has come to an end. And Jesus put an open display and show of the devil openly before all of his cohorts. And he defeated him in his... Death, burial, resurrection on the cross. And that's why he could say, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. Why would he have to have that given to him if he didn't give it up in the first place? He came to the earth as a man and he gave it up so he could suffer and die as the second Adam. To do what the first Adam couldn't do. What you can't do, what I can't do. It's not about being religious, my brother and sister. Not at all. It has nothing to do with religion. It is a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And when he washes you in his blood, if you can imagine this, let's say I got a peach tree right here, rooted and grounded in the earth. That was us, rooted and grounded in sin, darkness, and death. You can't get out. Religion comes along. Mm. Can't budge it. Good works comes along. Mm. Can't budget. You get some kind of a backhoe. Mm. Can't budget. You get a politician. <laughs> you know you can't budget. <laughs> Nothing is working. I'm dead. I'm dying. I'm lost. I'm going to spend eternity in the lake of fire. Doomed. Then someone says, have you tried Jesus? Huh? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How can they call it they haven't heard? How can they hear someone doesn't preach? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. What did you say? You must be born again. What did you say? You got to be born again. Accept Christ, his blood for your salvation. Okay. Praise God, Jesus, I make you the Lord of my life. Whew! Picks you up out of the darkness, puts you over here in the kingdom of God, and says, now you're mine. You belong to me. Hallelujah. Oh, you better shout louder than that. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Wow. Forget the backhoe. 
Forget religion. Look in Romans chapter 6. Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, which is what this is, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. See, this is reality. When you candidates who get inside that water, you're dying with him. You're being buried with him. You're being raised up with him. You'll be seated with him. That's what this is saying. That's why this is so significant. That's why this is so important. This is not a side issue that we should delay and say, well, you know, whenever. Because you know what? Delays, probably delaying things usually tends to lead toward disobedience and you just don't do it. Did you ever find that to be true? It's truth. Actually, my desire would be if you're not saved, you get saved right now. Jump in with the rest of us. I'm telling you, that's how, it's, that's how it is. Look in Ephesians chapter 2. These wonderful verses. We were dead in trespasses and sin. Every single one of us. The first three verses talk about we were dead in trespasses and sin. The Bible says you're dead while you live. You know what he means by that? You're dead spiritually while you live physically. Yes. And if you're dead spiritually and if you die physically, you're lost forever. But while we were dead in our sin, God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, where he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Look in Colossians chapter 2. What a wonderful statement. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized and with him you were raised to life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Do you see that? A baby can't do that. A baby can't believe that. A baby who is sprinkled with water as an infant has no ability to speak, to talk, to think, to make a decision. That's why we dedicate babies here. We don't baptize them. We dedicate them. Set them apart for God. And then when they get to a place where they've heard the word of God, they're at a place of accountability, and they say, I'm making a decision to follow Jesus, then we get them in the water. You've made your choice. You've made your decision. You've decided to follow Jesus. And praise God, we're joining together with you. Be baptized and make your declaration of faith. That is what true baptism is all about. You're identifying yourself with Christ. Look at Mark 16, some questions that people do ask, which real quickly we'll answer. Does one have to be baptized to be saved? And the answer is no. He said to them, go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned or damned. That is the Great Commission. That's Jesus commissioning his disciples to go into the world and make disciples. There'll be some that will believe. There'll be some that won't. Those that believe and are baptized shall be saved. Those that believe not will be damned or judged forever throughout eternity. And they'll be lost forever. Okay. But because he said that in that one breath, that one statement, those that believe and are baptized shall be saved. And let me just quickly explain. Back then, salvation was synonymous with baptism and baptism synonymous with salvation. You know why? Because there was no time in between. You didn't have to go through a class and sit through 12 classes 
to learn about water baptism and what it means when you got saved in the apostolic age. You didn't. As a matter of fact, you know, infant baptism didn't start to the third century. So it wasn't part of the apostolic age. No, back in the apostolic age was you get saved today, you get dunked today. As a matter of fact, when the apostle Paul and Silas were in prison, if you know that story and everybody's bands were loose and they came out and the jailer said, what should we do to be saved? He said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your whole house. And guess what? That night they were baptized in water. No classes. They were just baptized in water. Why? Because it was synonymous with salvation. If you gave your heart to Jesus, then jump in the water. Let everybody know that. It's that simple. But our society, we made it such a big to-do that we've got to have classes. We've got to learn this. And there's nothing to learn. You made a decision. Jump. Well, in closing, look at this verse in Luke 6. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? What did he say? Be baptized. What? Accept me and be baptized. Is that hard? Is that difficult? Isn't that pretty clear, though? Well, there's excuses that we make. Um, I don't want people to see what I look like when I'm wet. It might be too late for that, but <laughs> um, I better stop right there. Is that, that, was, that was just enough. You realize what I just said, what Jesus did for you and for me? You realize that he en entered the bowels of the earth and suffered what you should have suffered throughout eternity for you and for me. It's like he went into a furnace and suffered for you for seconds so that you wouldn't have to suffer there for eternity. We should never be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We should be running into this water and just diving in and just say, bury me all. Because when I come up, I'm letting everybody know I'm a born again child of God. Washed in the blood of the Lamb. Can we quickly go through these scriptures? Because I want to show you another question is when should one get saved? When should one get saved? So let's just quickly Look at these verses to, to, to show you. It's all based on Scripture. Now, when Peter got done preaching his sermon, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, for the promises to you and your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as our Lord God, our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Notice the same day. Look at the next verse. Same day, 3,000 were baptized the same day. No classes. No 12, you know, lessons on, on baptism. But when they believed Philip, who went down to the city of Samaria, preached Christ to them, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Look at the next one. And as they went their own way, uh, they came into a certain water, and eunuch, the eunuch said, See, here is water. What does it hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said to him, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's all it takes. Right there. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they both went down, they went both down into the water, 
and both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, well, we, we did that. So Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. So they were, he was baptized. That moment, they came up out of the water, which indicates that they were in the water. Look at the next one. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Look at the next one. Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. They then prayed they, they him to tarry there certain days. Look at the next one. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, and she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized, her and her household, she besought us, saying, If you, be, if you, if I have judged, if you judge me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. Look at the next one. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of God, the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his house. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? See, everyone in the household got saved. Immediately. And that's all you're going to find in the Bible. Every time you see an incident like this where someone gets saved, they get baptized immediately. Let's close in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, once again. Look at these verses here again. This is the baptism of Jesus. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. And coming to rest on him, and behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. For those of you that are here today being baptized, did you see that? Heaven was open. You're embarking upon another journey in your walk with God. When you go under that water, you're telling everybody here, I am dead to self. When you come up out of that water, you're saying to everybody here, I'm alive in Christ. The heavens know what's going on here today. The very throne of God knows what's going on here today. I believe in a living God. A living God who has eyes that see, who has ears that hear and an arm to reach out. And when you come up out of that water, the heavens are going to open to you. You're embarking on a new journey. You're going to experience something in God that you haven't experienced before. Do you know why? Because you made an effort to call out to God, to cry out to God, to draw nigh to God. He says, you draw nigh to me, I will draw nigh unto you. And when you come up out of that water, man, he's going to draw nigh unto you and be all over you. Praise God, just like he was all over Jesus. And you're going to hear in your heart, God the Father saying, these are my kids. I'm well pleased. The smallest thing that we can do. The smallest thing that we can do. Get baptized in water.